0: Hi, I'm your host, Thomas, data scientist, data engineer, and you're listening to Let's Talk AI. On this podcast, we'll receive experts to talk about their experience, visions, challenges, with no fear to go into technical details. If you're looking to learn more about AI and related subjects, You're at the right place to make yourself comfortable and enjoy. If you like this episode, please give us a review on your favorite streaming platform such as Spotify or Apple Podcast. You can also find more content on my LinkedIn newsletter. Welcome everyone on this new episode of Let's Talk AI. I'm super happy to be with Tobias Zwingman. Tobias, how are
1: you doing? I'm very good. Thank you, Toma. I'm super you?
0: excited to, I, I'm very good also, and super excited to have you on the show. Um, uh, just a quick remember to everyone who is listening, this podcast is for anyone who seeks to be a better data professional, AI professional, and we want to get uh, 360 vision of the field by sharing with experts and learning from experts, and today we're with Tobias. Um, I have many, many questions, like always, but Tobias, maybe for the people who might not know you, could you maybe do a brief introduction of, uh, of who you are?
1: Yeah, sure. So first of all, thanks for the uh, kind introduction and invite here to the show. So yes, I'm Tobias. I'm based in um, Hanover in Germany. I'm the managing partner of Rapid AI. Rapid AI is a uh, yeah, B2B AI agency, so we help companies adopt AI and machine learning solutions faster, especially small and medium-sized companies. And um, yeah, otherwise, I'm also, also an, an author. So last year, I wrote the book AI-Powered Business Intelligence, which was published by O'Reilly. And um, yeah, I'm also publishing a lot and writing a lot on social media. So you can find me on LinkedIn and you know, sharing a lot of these things that I learn that I do. And um, yeah, so that's what I do. <laughs>
0: uh, very impressive. And uh, to anyone who just researched on LinkedIn, uh, I mean, there is a, a lot to get lost in, in a way that you have books, you publish, uh, and you do a very interesting work. But we're going to go into all of that. Uh, I always like to ask at the beginning, What are you trying to achieve today? Either it's as an author or with uh, your company. Um, What are you seeking or what are you trying to achieve?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I think like overall, I just try to, you know, get more people into the space of AI in general, you know, to help them achieve their goals. You know, that might be company growth. That might also be personal development. That might be just, you know, just for fun. Um, I think in the end, there will be people who know how to utilize AI and AI services and those who don't like very similar to people who like know how to navigate the internet and not like even today, like, you know, there are some people who kind of say, Oh, you know, all that tech and digital stuff, like, especially in Germany, like we have those people saying that. And, you know, sometimes it feels like it's something that makes them special, but I think it's not really, you know, what should make it special. I think now it's the time to, you know, dabble around with that technology and see what the value could be for you. Um, so yeah, I think that's my overall goal in the end. Right. And And to help, you know, people make that faster and, and easier and um, yeah get this adoption nicely
0: <laughs> awesome that sounds uh, I could like there are many questions that comes into my mind regarding um, how to do this and uh, you mentioned having fun that's uh, something interesting like coaching also you mentioned but we can uh, we can discuss it um, afterwards um, could you maybe share with us a little bit of retrospective on your uh on your studies and career so that we kind of like with the key moments so that we uh, uh maybe it can help some people out there seeking for um, what they should do what what could be their next steps and so having an idea of uh of uh what you've been doing mm. since you've been doing it
1: yeah sure so I, I think to get the full picture i need to really go like far back in time, like, you know, (laughs) uh, back in school, I was always kind of, like, a bit of a, you know, techie, I mean, like, back when I was in school, you know, I, I, you know, I I created my first website, sold the first websites, I was in that, you know, space when, like, all the kind of internet stuff grew up, and, like, I I just, like, found that all interesting, and, you know, was very, like, you know, active in, in that sense, and, like, it almost happened that I went to, like, going to study, like, informatics, you know, after school, but then I, you know, somehow, found out that, you know what, maybe you shouldn't do something else in your life except being just technical the whole time. And then I actually, you know, um, opted for a uh, yeah, bachelor program in uh, business administration. So, you know, that was actually when I first got to do you know, business administration. And, um, yeah, um, I, I got a job in the exhibition industry. So I worked, worked in the exhibition industry on, on, on different projects. And, um, yeah, after I did that for a couple of years and also, like, working different functions, like also marketing, sales, project management, and so on, I felt like okay, it's time to get back on the technical track because, like, I saw all these happenings, especially in the in the data space. You know, mm-hmm. back then uh, it was about twenty fourteen or so, I guess. Yeah. And then I decided to, um, yeah, to to do a master program, master degree in IT management, um, to you know, become a little bit more technical. And then, actually, you know, by accident, I stumbled across a programming language called R. And uh, finally, you know, this was actually the programming language, which helped me like land the first data science job because there was a job opening, you know, looking for someone uh, who knew some, you know, some things about marketing and customer and customer analytics, but also R. And, you know, back then, you know, this kind of like opened the door for me to transition in my first data science role. And, um, yeah, it just happened to be that I, you know, turned out to be a data scientist in a company that I would say is, yeah maybe was a little bit very early for that old data science thing. So, you know, I was right in the first hype wave of that old data science thing. And, um, yeah, and, and then after that, I, you know, gradually transitioned more into, like, the AI machine learning space, you know, just, like, being where I am now, like, you know, I'm in my own com- company and um, writing a lot about these things, but also doing these things. But, I mean, that's how it developed, right? So I wouldn't say that, you know... Uh, was a big master plan or so behind that you know it kind of just happened and now here we are <laughs> so um, but yeah really you know i uh, really appreciate this whole journey and um, yeah where we are today here
0: awesome i like this uh it kind of just happened i like the idea of uh, i mean we always talk about career but most of the time when we ask people their career just it's just a chain of decisions but it wasn't
1: really planned uh do you want to comment something on that? Yeah, you know, I think um, there's this concept. I think it's not only in Korea, but also generally in life and in business. You have to kind of increase your luck surface area. And that's kind of true. So you want to, I, I, like, I, I don't say you don't need to do, like, everything. But at least you have to be in a position where you're open so that opportunities can actually reach you.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, like,
1: for example, you know, the, like, the the job offer that I got for data scientists would not have happened without like knowing, ah, and that was kind of like an accident. But on the other hand, like doing this IT management program where like these programming languages were on the curriculum, there was a deliberate decision to make, right? So Mm -hmm. uh, I wouldn't say it's just like, you know, waiting there and waiting for good things to happen, uh, but also, you know, yeah, just giving some options that these things can actually happen. And, And I think like, especially in business, that's true, right? I mean, like, the whole business world is such a random process, honestly. Like, everyone may, wants to make you, make, make you believe that, you know, we need all this planning, and, you know, if you do this and this, you will exactly get this outcome. But, you know, that's just not true, right? You can do all the playbooks, but in the end, just, like, completely end up in a different spot. So uh, that's just so much random and, you know, so, 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 yeah, so many stochastic elements involved uh, that you need to, you know, just be, be able to adapt that and, um, yeah, I think have a mindset where you just collect these uh, yeah, or just try to increase this uh, luck surface area. So that, that's hmm. one principle I, I truly believe in. and um, awesome. yeah, Even coming from a data science background, right? So I, and I think especially then, like we need to, especially when we deal with people and use cases that involve people, like we just really have to recognize that, you know, like we can build the fanciest models and the fanciest predictions, but like the bottom line impact we will have in the end, you know, it just, there are so many factors involved, you know, that have nothing to do with the tech, with the algorithm, with the data even. So, um, mm. yeah, we can always try to, like, give the best shot, but, like, we can't really plan everything out, you know, up to the end. That's just how it is, I guess.
0: Right. Right. I have two questions in my mind. I have uh, You mentioned marketing and sales. You mentioned that you've been um, around different... Uh, um, different fields, uh, I mean, you, you have a, a tech profile, but you've been playing around with a lot of things, and you mentioned also that um, business-wise, uh, you, you kind of have your uh, unique way to do things, so uh, first of all, my question is, how did marketing and sales, working in marketing and working in sales, um, e- either it's with air or or other tech or, um, or anything you had to do with uh, related projects, but how did those experiences, uh, impacted your vision towards, uh, you making decisions in your career and, um, and in how you see tech in general?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So I think the first thing, you know, the first component, like when you do, when you're in a sales and marketing uh, space, I think there's this one concept of empathy, which you just need to like really understand in order to like, you know, sell things to people and to create products that are, you know, that, that meet people's needs. Because in the end it's all about empathy, right? You have to anticipate right. what other people want, what customers want, what customers' needs are. Because again, like you know, the business playbook would be, okay, do some customer interviews, just ask them what they want. But it's not that easy actually. Like, you know, yeah. customers <laughs> will just tell you a bunch of stuff that they want, but you know, that's not like ultimately, the thing that you're going to buy that they are going to buy from you. So, yeah, I think you know that's this concept of empathy, and like the other thing is really the concept of like randomness and uh, you know, like like predictability involved. Um, especially if you if if you do uh, data science use cases that involve like human behavior, um, I think it's you know I think it's pretty hard to do that in, in many cases. Um, like like you either need really a lot of data or you need a lot of like yeah robust patterns in order to do that. Um, mm. And I think especially in the B2B space, you know, you, you, that can save you a little bit if you do like, for example, I did this use case on churn on prediction. And actually, uh, we did not do churn prediction for individual individual customers, but for like accounts, right? Like, you know, for businesses, and that mm-hmm. was much easier to do than to predict, you know, something for um for people. So to give you a concrete mm-hmm. example, I mean, I worked in the exhibition industry, and if you are an exhibition organizer, you have two types of clients. The first clients is, you know, exhibitors coming to your show, like, you know, these are the B2B relationship, and otherwise, mm-hmm. we also have visitors coming to your show. And we found it right. much easier, like, to model all the, you know, things and relationships to on the B2B side to exhibitors, compared to, like, you know, like, those people, like, you know, B2C, or, you know, like, physically, people walking to the exhibitions, they were pretty hard to model in terms of like forecasting uh you know ticket sales or attendees so that was pretty hard to do on the other hand um yeah figuring out what customers or what companies are not going to attend the next show you know that was pretty easy to do actually given all the Mm -hmm. data that we had Mm -hmm. um so and and this was also kind of like eye-opening for me that like you have to be aware of like what you're actually modeling in the end and the more kind of like people stuff is involved, I think the harder it gets really to make really good predictions and build predictive models. and I think that's why, especially in b two c cases, like all those huge data science use cases like we have seen are in setups where we have like insane amounts of data like you know like think of like Netflix and Spotify categories, like where you really have you know so many data points that you actually you know have those reliable patterns that you can um, utilize. But especially for smaller and medium-sized businesses, I think that's really hard to do, honestly. Um, hmm. So, yeah, that was kind of on realization I had. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, but that's the uh, you know impression I got over the years. So,
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. And it also seems that uh, some of the times we try to do very complex use cases that could have a high impact, but is uh, very difficult just because of the data, let's say. And there is another use cases like you mentioned that is aside that is that have the same level of impact but is way easier to do. And I feel like this is a like prioritization of use cases can be a very uh, key key element uh, towards um, towards building value. I guess even if it's like depending it it's marketing sales independently. Um, how do you like? All right. I, I'm going to ask uh, that uh, afterwards, but um, I want to come back on the business part. So you mentioned um, you mentioned two things that I like. You mentioned um, for one to increase. Uh, I couldn't restate exactly your words, but basically increase your leg, increase uh, uh, make somehow that you have a larger platform for your leg. And secondly, you mentioned that uh, in business you. I mean, it never goes as planned and you always have to improvise and um, see while you go through it. So my question to you is, uh, how do you go about business, uh, about making decisions, taking into account the the luck aspect and what you've been learning through the industries in, in a business perspective? From a business yeah, perspective, yeah,
1: sure. So, um, in short answer, would be always go for quick wins. <laughs> that would be the short answer, uh, but to give, provide a little bit more context, like the, the way I approach, uh, like for example, AI projects when you know uh, we work together with clients who want to like build their first AI project. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the first you know phase always contains a you know um, a workshop, something we do where we just map out AI opportunities from a high level, like you know what are current pain points, where do we think AI could help them, how could use cases look like, and then you know typically in the next stage. Uh, you do some rough estimation for uh, value and expected value and feasibility. And then, of course, you have those use cases where like, you know, these are your champions. They have like high value and high feasibility. Um, but then you also have use cases where maybe the value is not so high, but the feasibility is maybe even higher. And then, of course, like you have all those use cases where the feasibility is not so high. Maybe you know the, the potential value would be really high, but the feasibility is really low. Uh, Mm -hmm. So these are more kind of like these research cases. And honestly, like before I would have like, if you have asked me that question like two years ago, so I would have always said like, you need something like a mix, you know, of categories in order to be successful. And meanwhile, Mm -hmm. especially with all the developments in in AI, like I would almost all the time go for low hanging fruits and for go for whatever is most feasible, even if the value is not as high as expected for two reasons. Uh, First reason is, maybe the value will be even higher than it expected. Maybe it will be lower. But in some cases, like what we have seen is that once you implement something and you learn and you have this uh, uh, like iterative mindset, you know, something we can talk about later on, maybe because that's Mm -hmm. very important. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, people figure out that they say, okay, if we can do this, then we could also do that. Or maybe like once we have this data set, okay, can't we do this or that, right? all these things happen and all these ideas uh, like are are coming up once you Mm -hmm. like make your first walks in the AI space. So that's why I would always go for the, you know, just just get the first win and see, you know, what what you can do. And the other thing is that, you know, this whole space of AI is like evolving so fast that, like making a decision to hire people and commit to build an AI solution for like a year or so, I mean, that's a super risky business decision right now. There are some companies in this world, like, you know, like, they need to do that because AI is just so strategically relevant for them. But I would argue that for the average like bread and butter business, you know, that Maybe has a team of less than I don't know ten engineers. Maybe not even a single engineer in their company. Like if they, it, it wouldn't be really a wise decision to like you know hire people and go for these long term AI projects because mm-hmm. maybe you build that you know I mean imagine all those companies like trying to have I like haven't built all these you know fancy NLP systems and then you know there was GPT three point five and now GPT four and at some point there will be GPT five. So, you know, I mean, what do you do with that? Like, you know, there's a whole field of, like, you know, computer linguists and LP experts who suddenly, you know, just stand on the side of the field and say, hey, we were working on that, actually, you know, for the past 10 years, right? You know, it's just solved, <laughs> and especially for so many cases, like, you know, sentiment analysis or text classification. I know, like, LLMs don't work perfect, but at least out of the box, you know, they provide so much value compared to like all the other solutions, which are also imperfect to some degree. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's why I would say, you know, really think twice if you want to make that high AI investment upfront and rather, you Mm. know, I think this is more like cultural issue, rather adopt that mindset of saying, okay, we want to ship something for the sake of learning something like the goal is not to have the first big bang and big hit with AI. But the first goal should be, of course, to provide value, but also to learn something, like to get some mm-hmm. feedback, to like see how this technology works, to see what you can do, to see where it breaks. And um, if you have those low-hanging fruit use cases, and if you identify them, I think there are plenty, especially in the realms of sales, marketing, customer support. Um, there are so many things you can get started with. And once you have your first like, you know, couple of AI projects through the door and up and running, I mean, first of all, you're now a company using AI. So congrats to that. And secondly, you know, maybe you have some more like creativity, you know, what you can do and also like have the competence of, you know, making that decision. So mm-hmm. um, that's why I would right now, you know, always more favor these kind of like, you know, the more feasible, you know, okay, let's do, let, let's do this use case. And then, you know, let's worry about all the other things later on. Hmm. Um, it depends, of course, from case to case, but that's my general uh, approach right now.
0: Yeah, makes sense. I really like it. I'll ask you afterwards, like, how do you go about from use cases to implementation? Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe we can discuss also about infrastructure, about what clients want versus what they have. Maybe it doesn't make sense. Maybe they shouldn't start there. Maybe some pitfalls that you've seen through the time. Um, but just before that, I, j- I just want to um, to talk to uh, the author. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... Yeah. Uh so you've been writing um, correct me if i if i say it wrong but your book is AI powered business intelligence mm-hmm. um, right. and uh, so why did you start this book and maybe what are like the main reasons someone should read this book like if you have some insights from the book some learnings Uh, Maybe you can share a bit about the process of writing for you because you also write a lot on LinkedIn, you share about the latest technology, but also some personal statements, vision, etc. So can you share a bit about that?
1: Yeah, so like one of the main goals or drivers for for this book was that I wanted to, um, and this is getting a bit technical maybe now, but I wanted to bridge the gap between data science teams and business intelligence teams and organizations Mm -hmm. because... Um, especially, like you know, from, from what I've seen, is that like there are a lot of companies who have invested into data analytics, like for the past decade, right? They have built mm-hmm. their dashboards, you know, some of the analytics department, like their BI with Tableau or Power BI, right? All these things, but um, you know, so they did that, and then suddenly, again, like you know, ten years ago, like there was this kind of data science hype wave. So now they had all these, you know, BI people, um, very often located in their IT teams or you know, on the technical side of the business. And then, you know, suddenly the business started to hire data scientists, right? So you had people like me, for example, right? Like working in the like marketing department, for example, as a data scientist, you know, trying to build like fancy AI use cases or ML use cases. And mm-hmm. um, so there was the first disconnect between those two teams. And I thought the whole time, okay, what we need actually, you know, is more bridge between those two, you know, those two teams. Because right now we are at the stage where a lot of those data science techniques or, you know, tools have been become so commoditized that, I argue the kind of like average BI person or BI engineer is actually like, you know, easily able to pick these up and to implement that into their dashboards. Uh, and this could involve, you know, things like, you know, making better predictions or making better forecasts of using, for example, you know, a, a an auto MO model, you know, which you can pretty easily set up. Uh, if you know the data, if you know what you're doing, you know, that's not rocket science anymore. So you can do that and integrate that in your, uh, in your bi tool some of these bi tools you know just provide that out of the box or you can use tools like you know these natural language interfaces where you have the q and a and again like these these are tools and functions that are very often like integrated in um in 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 the bi uh, setup and what I've seen is that a lot of bi people just don't do that because they don't see that as part of their kind of like you know i don't know skill set or competence or you know responsibility because they think ah oh, that's data science stuff right so let's do that let's mm-hmm. let's let's leave that to the data scientists but then if you ask the data scientists you know they actually say they actually say okay right you know what like we actually know what kind of model to use, right? Either use an XGBoost, or you see what model comes out of an AutoML process. But what we need to figure out is, you know, what's the data about? Like, you know, what is the data quality and all these things. So, and who do they ask about the data quality? Well, the BI people, right? I mean, they have been working on this data for the past decade. So, and if they don't know, you go to the business and figure all these things out. But, um, like bottom line is that I thought, like, you can have so much value inside this bi organization without hiring you know a bunch of data scientists doing all that Mm -hmm. just by trying to upskill you know you the existing people that you have and just opening that data science world to them and i mean just to mention two examples right so nlp for q a interfaces uh auto ml for predictions but there's also stuff like you know um, unlocking unstructured data so processing documents and images and there's there's tons of services out there that can process documents for you and they actually work pretty well out of the box so I mean, why not, you know, analyze customer feedback inside your BI, right? It's just like, you don't have to build everything by yourself, but I think you have to show people what's possible and uh, also, you know, show them how they can potentially build the first prototype by themselves in order to, you know, after that, you know, move on to the next stage and see how to implement that. And of course, that's a completely different game, uh, Mm -hmm. but still right now they have, like identified opportunities for them. And and that was the main attention for for, for this book, actually, uh, you know, to just help people overcome this gap
0: hmm awesome awesome you uh at at the beginning you mentioned coaching uh Mm -hmm. you mentioned coaching coaching um so i think i'm going to ask you about that but right after what what you mentioned i was thinking about um bridging the gaps um i feel like this is a problem not necessarily in the tech field i think it is a problem that is constantly trying to be solved as a human species (laughs) bridging the gaps between people so that we can understand each other better and build faster and better um so my question to you based on your experience uh, your book and the companies you've been working with what are the main problems you can see people struggle with uh, in companies in terms of um uh not having these uh, bridges between departments
1: yeah so you know i think one of the main problems is that people choose the wrong tools for the wrong job and to give you an example if you get want to get started with like ai or data or ml mm-hmm. i think the best option is not to like you know build a task force for this honestly i think the best option at this stage is to just go alone Mm-hmm. Right. So i think there's this quote by i don't know i think it was michael jordan or so who said like if you want to move like if you want to go fast you need to go fast mm-hmm. alone if you want to go far you need to go together something like that and right. i think this also relates back to technology because you can't just like you know build a prototype and invite like you know people from regulatory and people from the data department and from it and from the business and five consultants and do all this it just doesn't work right it's just too slow like you can't iterate over that so You need to acquire, like, there needs to be someone in the organization who needs to kind of, like, acquire a little bit of a generalist mindset and also technical Mm -hmm. skills in order to build something. And, you know, in the BI space, you know, for me, it was the BI engineers. But in other spaces, you have people like, you know, like marketing specialists who can do something like that. Or, you know, it depends on the domain, really. But I think there needs to be some, like, people who can do a lot of, things on their own and just, like, prototype and and move fast and fail fast, right? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I think you have to acknowledge that, like, once you leave that kind of prototyping space, like, it's a completely different game, right? You can't do that alone, right? From now on, you can, you you need to kind of, like, you know, more or less, like, you know, break down whatever you had built up right now, and just Mm -hmm. to reconsider, uh, okay, how, like the main goal of the prototype or whatever you did was to, to to minimize risk. Like you wanted to minimize risk of project failure. You wanted to figure out right. if the value is there, if the feasibility is there. And once you have that, you said, okay, good. Now I have um, proven that I have the value that people actually care about that. People want this. Now let's figure out how we make this happen. And then you actually, you know, I, like in my book, I talk about that with the, uh, you know, 2 pizza rule where i say that you know the prototype team should be like fed by you know maximum two pizzas so like lot more than three or four people like, depending on how much you eat but then on the you know production team like you order the whole big buffet right you have all the people sitting there and this is just like you know, just a corporate project or you know company project going on but right now at this stage you know that like the potential for value acquisition at the end is much higher mm-hmm. because you already phys- you already validated that you know at the at the beginning and I mean, this translates literally to so many examples in life, you know, even to like posting stuff on, you know, on online or writing stuff like, you know, or even writing a book. So probably, you know, before you start like writing a whole book on something it right. might be just easier to validate the core ideas of the book by posting on that on social media and see if you know it just works right so and if you see that you know some ideas work you know that it might be worth like going deeper and investing more time writing a blog post or writing a newsletter or writing a book right after, like after you validated that but you would not sit down and look out of the window and say okay what could i write about tomorrow ah, okay maybe i write about this and then you just start writing the book right i mean it could happen you know to be like very successful but at the same time um, yeah <laughs> that's that's not like that's not in line with the concept of increasing the luck like, surface area because you want to like try right. out all these different things until you figure out okay this is something that could actually work and then you want to go into that and, and, and try to build it up and um, right yeah so and especially with AI and machining I think this is so true because like you have so many variables in this whole game you know that are like, people don't know how this works. People don't know if they have the data. They don't know the technology. They don't know what people they need. Like, they don't know anything at the beginning. So, you know, the best way to figure it out is just to start really, really small and ideally in a very small team and just figure out, like, how far you get and, like, what kind of value do you achieve? And, um, yeah, I think, like, this this mindset is not really for everyone, like, especially for larger corporations. Like, know they need to have their five-year plan and they need to know what kind of revenue to expect from ai mm-hmm. you know in four years and so on so you know this agile approach doesn't really get you there um but on the other hand side i think you know especially for smaller businesses you know that can move in a like, faster way i think that's a great opportunity here and just see look how far they can get right if, if they just mm-hmm. allow some like creativity and, and some kind of uh yeah uh, new approaches inside their company <laughs>
0: Right. And I feel like innovation is uh, is more than ever important based on the... Uh, I like to consider that uh, LLMs, and this is not from me, I don't want to take credit of anything about what I'm going to say, but, uh, but I, I like this way of thinking. But I like to think that LLMs are not hallucinating, they're creative. And I like to use LLMs in strategic thinking and sometimes... It does a wonderful job to enrich my first thoughts or intuitions and find counterexamples. And it helps me on my own to go further into my reflections toward whatever I want to achieve or do. Uh, you mentioned something very interesting about um, like uh, having a department. Maybe we could call it an agent, like a department that can be independent from all other de- departments and move fast and test things fast. Um and to me with LLMs, with this new technology, I feel like companies need to innovate faster to stay competitive. Uh, I mean of course there are many counterexamples based on the industry and, and the size of the company and so on, but I believe that we have all the tools uh to to iterate fast. You mentioned about iterating, we can we can discuss about um agile method iterating uh, and productivity uh on its own but um but i'm i'm aligned with uh with, with with what you shared i also thought while while you were describing um how to come up with like how am i going to write a book all right i'm just going to watch the window uh but uh out of the window and just hope that i have a good idea and write about it and hope that people will read it and what you mentioned is very interesting in a way that uh I just need to be consistent about trying things and and have some kind of validation, measurement, feedbacks to see what's happening. And I feel that this is something that can really be helpful towards taking better decisions. And I believe that what you mentioned about um, it is very hard to just sit down and, and write a book. I feel like the only people who can do that are the ones that have already been testing multiple concepts and have a unique vision. And want to put these concepts in a unique framework that haven't been seen before, and maybe in that case it could apply. Um, I don't. I just wanted to share these uh, thoughts with you. But um, before I ask you about rapid AI, um, you mentioned agile. You mentioned iterate. You mentioned, and I mentioned productivity. So, how do you go about delivering fast and? delivering the right tools.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that's a broad question, <laughs> but yes. like it. So um, yeah, how to, how to move fast? So um, like like one principle I go by is you know to just use what's there. You know, and uh, this comes for technology for like you know for example for a prototype I would always go with an external solution, maybe an external vendor that is you know doing that if the quality is just like you know acceptable enough to to ship the prototype um, because mm-hmm. it's just faster, right? And mm-hmm. also you don't get and I think this is really important. You don't get as attached to the product as you do when you do it by yourself. Like you know, imagine for example, let's take the chatbot example, right? Uh, like there are tons of you know chatbot frameworks out there that allow you to like build these reg um, architecture like chatbots. So. You can also do that, like, like for example, if, if I use those kind of, like, techniques, like, people ask me, like, why do you don't, why don't you do that, like, by your own, just, like, five lines of code in LangChain? chain? And I'm like, yeah, dude, I could do that. But the thing is, like, if I invest that time building that, I kind of, like, get attached to the thing, right? It's like, you know, I don't want to throw it away as easily as just, like, taking an API from a vendor and just, like, you know, see how far we get with that. Because we're still right. in the prototyping stage, and we want to fail fast. And... Um, and the thing gets even worse, and that's the I think the the one problem I, I I sometimes have with innovation departments, the more people are aligned or attached to it. So imagine mm-hmm. like you, you have this great idea, right? And you have two options. Like you can either go by yourself and just see how far you, you can get this idea within a week, or you just have a team, right, of three people, and you say, okay, let's see how far we can get this idea. Just by rallying three people around this idea, you have already kind of implicitly set, you know, a certain anchor of like keeping this idea alive for at least a couple mm-hmm. of days or maybe even months in a large company. Because mm-hmm. like if like otherwise, you know, if you just kill this idea after a couple of days and you have now like like invited three people to a Zoom meeting. You kind of like, you know, like just say that maybe the idea was not so good, which probably it wasn't. Right. But like who wants to tell that, you know, like the more people are involved in this whole process. So I think you need to do that like somehow like on your own on your own. And that kind of like relates to, you know, the uh, the business setup. When you say, OK, I want to prototype or demonstrate a use case, you want to choose your setup in a way that you can easily throw it away. If you the owner will become like too attached to it, like be it on like dependency on other people, dependency on you know the work that you got in there. Like that's a, like sunk cost fallacy syndrome, right? Where you say, okay, now I spent like ten hours working on that, or ten days, mm-hmm. or three months. Like you know, I have to make this work. No, right? You have to just throw it away. Um, and, and I think you know that's very hard for you know a lot of people to, to do. And that's why I'm really about uh, you know trying to um, and then you know that that that's where the coaching aspect um, comes in, trying to get people who are maybe not like, you know, years or, you know, behind or so much behind the technology stack, but just maybe a little behind and maybe just need, they need a little training or a little guidance in order to like unlock these services, uh, you know, and unlock these, you know, tools that allow them to um, either build these things by themselves or to find a vendor that helps them build these things really fast, right? So I think this is yeah kind of important because a lot of people still think, you know, when they hear about AI data scientists, uh, data science that they need these kind of experts, these data scientists, right? You need to mm-hmm. hire the first data scientist and they need to work for three months and then You know, I mean, like when I started as a data scientist, I worked for four months on a, you know, prediction model that in the end no one used, you know, because it was just not, you know, using the company. And I'm like, okay, I mean, we could have just like, you know, taking any model and actually see how far we got, right? But that was not the mindset back then. The mindset back then was, Okay, we have a project plan and the project plan is like we develop the model for you know three months then we put it into production then we collect the feedback then we do this and this and this but you know like this and this never happened so that was a problem <laughs> and, um, and and yeah, I think this is how generally uh, companies should generally you know, adopt in that, um, that that mindset which they uh, should adopt it. like it's hmm. yeah it, it, I think it's coming from software development but you know I'm, I'm, I'm always saying, Like you have software development, you know, and all these agile principles and so, but then you have data projects, which are like software projects plus X on uncertainty involved, right? So they are Mm -hmm. even more risky and more like, you know, uncertain to do because Mm -hmm. probably you you have never looked at the data before in many cases. And secondly, you don't really know what the data would look like, you know, three months from now like Mm -hmm. it's very hard to predict so there is not only this whole like software component involved but also the data component involved that makes these projects very hard to you know very hard to predict to control to steer and that's why you know i think you need to have this kind of very iterative setup to to manage these projects
0: (laughs) i can i can really see the like the two two levels like at the top we have like data observability with like all the pipelines and like everything is like we get the data from the pipeline and it retests it and and the models are retrained if the conditions are matched (laughs) and and like like super sophisticated thing and then like almost everyone like trying to like get good data yeah exactly (laughs) um and uh it is very interesting Uh, i'll ask you afterward maybe about some productivity tool that you have for yourself also some experiences that you might have with clients that can be very interesting to share about but before can you share uh, a bit more about rapid ai and about what you are currently doing uh, in the company
1: yeah sure so rapid ai again is like a um, yeah, boutique ai agency so especially helping smaller, and medium sized companies to um, adopt their first you know or one of their first ai use cases so especially you know non-technical businesses who have heard about AI. Who want to get started with AI, but maybe who lack the resources or the knowledge to do so. And um, yeah, like the, the way you know we position ourselves is that we say like we help you to build your first profitable AI use case in eight weeks or less. And um, that obviously involves, you know, tools more on the methodological side, like running AI design sprints, but also using these rapid prototyping techniques in order to deliver the first, you know, prototype. So that's like what what rapid AI is, is, is doing and like in, in, in many cases of course like we end up like building prototypes around like LMs and chatbots and so on. But in many cases like you know always uh, also ends up in I would say more like, you know, operationally involved things like, you know, improving analytics, improving dashboards, or trying just to figure out what could be uh, good, good AI use cases in, in, in that company. And um, yeah, so, you know, that's, uh, that's, that's what I do there. <laughs> that
0: sounds very, very interesting. Um, uh, so regarding, regarding use cases, when, when you work with, uh, with client, I really like that you have the fast impact like in less than eight weeks you have these uh, things running Uh, but what all right so I think I have two questions here Um, but let's start with one I guess Um, what is uh, what are the common use cases that uh, let me know if this is confidential or not but (laughs) like what are like important use cases that you've implemented that had a very big impact and if so if you if you can share a bit more about it uh, i think it could be very interesting um if you could share a bit about the framework on how you go about implementing or building this proof of concept maybe Mm -hmm. let's talk
1: afterwards about implementing it but yeah sure so um like talking about use cases um again like i opt for like high feasibility you know that had, you know, some value, maybe not like right. super high value, but at least some value. I need to give you a concrete example. So recently we worked with that customer on a, you know, customer support chatbot. And mm-hmm. um, from the feedback that we got from another client was that we could, we are able to, in, in a B2B setup, we were able to reduce the, you know, amount of first level customer support emails in this case, you know, that goes through, you know, the customer support stuff by 10 to 50%. All right. So it was like not a super high number but it was a high number or oh, not, not a super high number but it was a measurable impact and imagine the setup of you know, reducing first level customer support in a like corporate environment like where you have like 50% 15% less emails um, but in a enterprise environment you probably have a first level support team right so you know there's like a group of people like 20 people 30 people 100 people dealing with first level support like if you reduce mm-hmm. the amount of first level support there by 15 percent, they are like oh nice that's super helpful for us and so on but still in the end you have those you know like 15 or 100 people there employed then right. for small and medium-sized business on the other hand what we found out is that very often like people do first level customer support on top of their existing you know right stuff that they need to do and whatever is taken away from the first level support like you know from 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 that kind of process i mean they are super happy about it like you know they totally love that even there's just two emails less coming in a day i mean mm-hmm. they, they, they are super happy about it because in the end it's just a pain doing that because they just need to do it like on top and every every literally every incoming email that you reduce is directly impacting the business because they don't have to deal with that. They can f- just focus on their business because, they, again, they they are not like a customer support team, right? They they maybe mm-hmm. just do account management or maybe or they on the operational sides of things, right? But just like you know, these small little things add up, and that's you know where we say okay, just on paper like this use case does not look really good, but if you just ask the end users about that, like they will be super happy about it, especially because they they, they see the potential of building that up. Because maybe we can just right now reduce like 15% of the incoming support queries because we don't have, you know, the data and the knowledge base for that. But maybe we can just like work on that data and, you know, maybe just feed in more like historic emails or, you know, anything that can help, you know, like get this to another level. Maybe we get to 30 or 50% less emails mm-hmm. coming in. And that would be like a super high value use case for them. Um, so that's the like kind of like reason why, right? And, and why I would go for this like, kind of like even low impact use case on on paper. And the other thing is like, how do we approach that? I mean, obviously like, you know, for the first prototype, I just use an like out of the box, uh, you know, chat based solution to set it up. Um, Like there are plenty of, you know, vendors for that in the market. I don't want to, uh, you know, name anyone here in particular, <laughs> but yeah, there's just like enough of them available. Um, but then when it comes to like integration and also we need to be more like strict about like, you know, privacy, the privacy and data, yep. data governance and so on. Um, like obviously like there are ways to set this up pretty easily, um, internally. And, and meanwhile, uh, we have this kind of like, you know, framework, which you can just pull up in order to like connect it to external data sources, upload some like PDF documents, just like deploy the chatbot, for example, on an Azure environment, uh, completely mm-hmm. hosted inside Europe. Uh, but again like even this would be too large for a prototype like for a prototype i'm just like okay give me just some data like we just use one of those external vendors and just see how well because we want to we want to analyze how well a model like you know gpt4 because that's the same model we will end up like do, using in the end how well this model can actually handle your data and like the incoming queries and just see you know wh- where we are right now if it makes sense to like you know go further or if we say okay like like we could probably like reduce fifteen percent, but you know we would need like a full month on development on that in order to give it to an accept, give it, uh, get it to an acceptable level. Um, right. But that's where I say that like, you know we need to like separate uh, separate the prototyping phase from the you know actual like you know deployment or production environment. Mm-hmm. No,
0: I think it's it's very very interesting, and I really like uh, like this, this example really showcase how uh, problems are. Uh, are unique based on the lens wh- uh, with which we're looking at it. I said it uh, not in uh, the, the best way I could, I guess, but uh, <laughs> but I think everyone understood. Um, so, so that's interesting. You mentioned, you do this proof of concepts. You mentioned infrastructure. You mentioned keeping the data private. Um, and uh, you mentioned also the service about Azure. As of you can deploy this kind of models, this kind of, uh, uh, um, for example, GPT, GPT models, and you can deploy them in a private environment, which is very interesting. You can also use open source, open source models um, in, in whatever uh, environment you want, such as uh, Lama two. Um, my question is, when you have a use case and you have a metric that shows that this use case is useful and is saving money or time which is money to people in the company um do you go about the implementation or is, is this the is it the responsibility of the company or how do you implement do you implement and if so um do you uh like how hard is it to implement yeah. in general from a use case to Matching the infrastructure and everything they have. Yeah,
1: honestly, it's 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 hard. It's really super hard to do that. And uh, like one year or so, I you know tried to get Rapid AI in a position to so that we could do that ourselves. But we like quickly figured out that like that's not going to happen. That's not really possible, at least at the scale we are running right now. I mean, if you're a large consulting company like Accenture, so, like you probably have the resources to do that. But um, the problem is like depending on the kind of use case. You need a different tech stack, you need different experts, you need different like you know knowledge about like what the customer has. like for example, if they have an SAP system that needs to be integrated like kind of just out, right like, no yeah. clue. So like meanwhile you know uh, the approach that I'm following is to like, help you know customers get their first POC or proof of car like your know, prototype running. And then um, you know we just work together in order to uh, get the first PRD, so the product requirement document ready, for example, and to help figuring out is that something they need to build internally, that need to like buy from the market, just help them find the right vendor for that, and also you know for a certain period of time supporting them more in a yeah you would call it a you know product management or product owner role for that uh, for, for that mm-hmm. piece of software, um, because like I I have found out that like especially for like the, for those non-technical and smaller companies. And I like smaller companies for me, that's, you know, companies like less than 500 million in revenue in, per year. Right. And like for, for, for these companies, it's super hard to manage these software projects because mm-hmm. a, like all the uncertainty around technology and so on, and B resources, like they don't have it people sitting around waiting for labor. In fact, like most like traditional SMBs, they are facing a completely different challenge. Like, Like, I I, I know a client, like, their IT department will be just shrinking to, like, 30% of the current size over the next 10 years, just because people are retiring, right? So, Mm. they don't have people who can just, like, you know, even if it's just about managing and, like, you know, controlling vendor or managing vendors, like, they don't have people do that. They just need to, like, hire people that can, like, keep all the systems running, so... And we just try, you know, to, to to take that work away from them and help them, you know, to figure out who could be a good partner for this, who could be a like, good vendor. Do you need mm-hmm. to go with one of those, like, you know, huge consulting companies? Is there a more specialized vendor for this and this? And just, like, trying to navigate the space and, you know, putting in the, uh, in, into this position. And, like, so far that the works pretty well. Um, yeah. But let's see, I mean, you know, <laughs> this whole industry is always pivoting. Um, but yeah, yes. I, I think that so far it's like a pretty good, uh, you know, pretty good approach because, you know, that's what a lot of companies, you know, uh, face right now. At least here in Germany and Europe, you know, where both
0: companies. Are. Yeah. Yes. Um, speaking about pivoting <laughs> and speaking about uh, tools, architectures and, and so on, um, how do you go about learning new technologies, learning new concepts, learning new principles. Uh, I understand that it is not necessarily to uh, go back to any new programming language and and like be at the the age, at the state of the art of like anything new, but everything new. But how do you go about improving and keeping... um, keeping fresh if i can say if i can mm. phrase it like that <laughs> how do you how do you uh, stay fresh <laughs>
1: yeah i mean the ideal answer would be you know to just like you know start building something, start building some hobby projects and side projects but honestly like recently that has been really tough to do um yeah because like there are just so many other things around uh, i would definitely love to you know do more you know hands-on and, and building work right now um but you know for, for anyone who wants to like you know stay ahead, I think, you know, that's just the best thing you can you can do, right? Just start playing around with technology. And like if you're more a technical person, you know, that means just coding something up like by yourself, if you're less technical, you can use a no code platform or no code framework, you know, to just dabble around with technology. So like, there's so many options you can do right now. I think there's nothing really preventing you from like, you know, doing that. And like, if you're like, even super non-technical at all, then I mean, just use ChatGPT every day. <laughs> that's the easiest That's the easiest interface you have to do to, to work with AI. Um, but yeah, for, for everything else, you know, um, I, I, I do really love stuff online, especially on, you know, Twitter or, or X uh, and, and, and things that are happening there. I think it's still a pretty good platform to just see, you know, what's, what's happening, what's, you know, what are new frameworks, what are new uh, releases coming out. It's, you know, pretty, pretty good so far. And, um, again, yeah, otherwise, you know, just seeing from, like, real implementations, right, when we have a concrete use case, like the other day, uh, we were evaluating software for AI software for, like, the sales vertical for, for call transcripts, and they posted about that one tool the, the other day, uh, you know, where we just, like, you know, stumbled across that tool, like, during that process, because we had this, like, you know, concrete requirement there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, like, I think, like, in, like normally i would approach it that way they just try to you know get hands-on with these tools but also not like not try to force it too much so i think a lot of companies have and i think that's actually much better than like creating an innovation department or so like just give your employees like you know one day every two weeks you know for some fun or free projects like especially in Mm -hmm. the kind of developer space because you need to free up people in order to like have them play around with things and it's i think it's very important that you're able to play around that it's not like goal oriented or like metric driven you need to be able to just like you know just just play around with it and and see how Mm -hmm. it works and uh and and once you have that flexibility i think that's the best way to learn and and just see how these things actually uh work out right makes
0: sense makes sense uh also speaking about pivoting um and now that we have your secrets (laughs) (laughs) to um to stay um, with um, how high skill values either it's with no code or coding directly um, how do you see the industry heading i mean i know this is a very 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 hard question because i mean who expected llms i, I don't i mean mm-hmm. some people i guess maybe you are one of them and you will correct me but um Oh, completely or no, I didn't expect that. that. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, but, I mean, yeah. in
1: my in my book, like I wrote that last year in November, like there's no single mention of like GPT 3.5 in that book. I, I think I have one reference to kind of a generative AI, but it was just, was not, it was just not there yet. Like about two mm-hmm. months later, there, there it was, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah. That, that is impressive. I
0: think it surprised a lot of people in NLP. I think it uh, mm. gave a lot of uh, existential crisis to some NLP experts. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> but, um, yeah, definitely. But uh, I think it is uh, very interesting. And uh, I believe that if you're an NLP expert, you can always uh, go from there and, and build amazing things that no one can think of ex- except uh, NLP experts. So my question to you is... Um, how do you see the, based on your expertise and the use cases you've, you've been seeing, uh, where do you see AI going and where do you see uh, the most value out of use cases and implementing AI, either it's LLMs or just like predictable models, regressions, classifications,
1: mm-hmm. and so on? So I think the main trend, at least for the past 12 months, if not more, will be commoditization. So, and this goes back actually to like innovation theory. So, in innovation theory, I actually don't know the exact concepts for uh, the exact technology for that, but there's one concept which is called like disruptive innovation, you know, which happens every once in a while, you know, and like GPT for 3.5, or chat GPT for that sake was some disruptive innovation. But then you have like incremental innovation, like which happens all the time. So you have incremental innovation, but then you know, sometimes disruptive innovation happening. And we just had disruptive innovation here. So now it's all about like incremental innovation. And I think this incremental innovation will eventually come through commoditization in various smaller aspects. So we will see much more AI tools for certain niches, like, you know, for like, we have seen like, ChatGPT gpt tools for marketing and sales copywriting like there will be a ChatGPT gpt tool for every aspect of every business function like you know that's where all the vc capital capitals like you know flowing into so i expect a lot of commodization. and again that's why you know i don't suggest like building too much and investing too much there myself because like you know there's <laughs> tons of other people you know just trying to do the same right now and um the other thing is that i think there will be like there will be just a handful of companies in this world who are really able to. Like build these very large foundational models, and unfortunately, like they won't be sitting in Europe. Um, I don't really see that happening. So, like we will see, like you know, large companies in the US and in China building these large foundational models, and then literally everyone else in the world will be trying to like adapt, fine tune, or you know, just tailor or customize these models to their own particular use case. And I think this will be the main. Like, you know driving forces so you on the one end you have commoditization companies figuring out if they should buy this tool or not and on the other hand side you know uh yeah fine tuning or customization of existing mm-hmm. foundational models and then companies trying to like build their own stuff on top of that i think this will be the uh yeah two, two, two main drivers we are observing but let's see mm. like, it's a very dynamic space. <laughs>
0: <laughs> let's see let's say it goes uh how, how far do you think prompt engineering can go with that observability, with uh, with um, like if you have very 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 detailed systems with a lot of numbers, uh, in the short term, how I mean short term, mid term, how far do you think prompt engineering can go? Can I tomorrow have my own company and and my employees are me prompting tools and them doing things? Yeah. How far do you think we are from this?
1: Yeah, like if if you have asked me at the beginning of, you know, ChatGPT, I would have said, we don't need prompt engineers, right? It's all designed to be like super intuitive and so on, but just like having worked in a couple of projects now, like there really is a difference on how you prompt these things. And also just having like observed how other people, you know, just use ChatGPT. And I'm like, you can't just ask it to do that, right? I mean you can, but like, you know, there's like you yeah. know, nothing really good coming out of that. Like, you know, to, yeah. Yeah, you know, and people just get frustrated that, you know, it produces these mediocre outcomes. And when I see those people, you know, coming up with these mega prompts, and I'm something like, okay also this can't be the answer right that's the other extreme <laughs> so and um and, and yeah so so right now i think um and honestly i, I think every company should have a chat gpt training for their employees like you know not only like for prompting the model but also for like you know what kind of data am i allowed to put in there what are some use cases and especially what are use cases for my business and for my company so i think every company should have this um i think there's no point in just trying to block it and like you know prevent people from using it because what would I like what people could do is you know they just send all the you know company details you know to their personal email and do it on their personal computer and made it back to the company and just, I mean you know people will always find a way to to get through these systems if they want to use it um, so yeah and, and I think in that sense I would not call it like prompt engineering maybe more something like a I don't know LLM literacy or so I don't know if that is good. maybe that's even too far right but you know just a very like you know one-on-one crash of, course you know on how to use these models and how to use them responsibly and what to do with the outputs and so on i think honestly i think every company should have that you know it doesn't have to be like a super complicated like one week training you know maybe just like you know one or two hours of video watching and that's it right and just you know after that trying but I guess, like, I see so many companies not giving any guidance to their employees on this topic of ChatGPT. You know, some HR departments have added ChatGPT courses. You know, where you go for two days and you pay three thousand euros. And I'm like, what the fuck? What? That's not that's not the idea of AI democratization, right? Um, so, and I, and I think that's not how it's supposed to work. Right? But every company should have like a one or two hour training material on you know how to use these models responsibly like adapted to their business and then their own language and everything so yeah um, that would be good
0: hmm. when you say responsibly um, what, what do you have in mind
1: yeah i mean putting data in there which should not you know be, be, be used in this um, some companies have their own meanwhile their own kind of internal gpt so that could be a different story for this one uh, but also responsibly in terms of uh, for example like, do you need a policy internally to, like, flag AI content that, you know, if someone was 100% by AI, do you need to, like, quote that or highlight that, that this is coming from an AI, or you don't need to? I don't know, there could be a company policy. Uh, but also just being aware of, you know, that, you know, it can make up, like, it's not a fact machine, right? Like, it will, you know, just create stuff. So people need to fundamentally understand that this is a, you know, text prediction system, like, you know, it's, like, fancy autocomplete on the steroids but it's not factual you know it's not a factual generator and yeah. just having this kind of like mindset like uh, this is really important uh, because in the end like it, there's also ethical usage of these systems that right? you're not allowed to, to or you, you shouldn't take, just take the outputs and present these as the truth you know mm-hmm. to some external parties you know that don't know that this is you know actually LLM generated content right um, so yeah
0: Right. I feel like the best way to, to use those tools is, uh, are, I mean, t- to my perspective, it's like having the blueprint of what do I want? Mm-hmm. Like if I have a problem, until I can create m- any more sub-problems of my problems, like each step of my problem, then using ChatGPT is too soon or it won't be that good. But once I have the blueprint of what I want, And I can separate very clearly the the different tasks, then it does an amazing job. And that is for like next generation, but also for planning, thinking, strategy, and so on. All these frameworks,
1: like, you know, try to ask ChatGPT for going with you through the job to be done framework. I mean, that works like a charm, right? And like, ChatGPT is aware of all these kind of like, you know, psychology and marketing and, you know, customer frameworks that exists out there right you can literally just ask it do you know the following book right and just quote a book and then you'll just say okay give me the most important like asset, like you know summaries of these book or what frameworks are used then you can go from these frameworks so there's i think right. there's so many opportunities that you can right. use these tools um yeah but you know either sometimes people just don't care i don't know or they don't know how to use that but i mean like if, if, if you want to get started with ai in your company then like Having your employees like use ChatGPT in a like decent way, I think that's one of the easiest, quick wins you can get, honestly. Um, and yeah. there are regulatory like concerns and you know privacy issues and so on. But like even these things are developing, right? Like you could either like build a clone or a copy of that internally, or you could. Uh, for example, like, you know, use ChatGPT for enterprise. You could use another LLM, you know, there's, you know, an LLM also, you know, Trend in Germany. It's not that good at, you know, GPT 3.5, but still, I mean, there are options. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, no, totally. Uh, Like, just to add a few examples to what Mm -hmm. you said, like, for example, I have, uh, like, I've been reading some books and I really liked the the line where it was going. So I just took all the books, the latest book that I read um, and, like, I have, like, maybe, a business book, a tech book, a science book and uh, and I have like this list and then I put all into a prompt and I say recommend me 10 books and then from these 10 books I have like great recommendations and I don't need to go in the internet and like check I don't know how they do their, their list, that's one. Uh, the other one is a bit more low-key but uh, I like to journal like uh, mm-hmm. uh uh, either it's every day or like I just ask myself specific questions and I have uh, in my notion I have like many questions and I just look at them and I see which one fits more or feels better like for today so let's say uh, like um like um how can I be a I don't know I'll just I don't want to share too much about <laughs> <Yeah>. that but, <laughs> but like let's say I have like this uh goal question or this um like being a better person or feeling better or whatever. Um, and so I just start answering and asking more questions to myself. And I was like, I came up with like solutions and specific actions towards like the question I'm asking myself. And then I'm like, but wait, what if there is more to that? So I just asked the question and I, I wrote five more things using ChatGPT that I will implement in my life and, uh, and that are good recommendations. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like as an assistant, either it's for like building a business, finding solutions, like if we have, if we're very specific about tasks and what we're trying to do, I think we can be very creative and we need to be, uh, we need to still learn and the, the learning curve using them on a daily basis as assistants um, uh, can be very, um, Improved. I mean, we can, I believe personally. Uh, anyway, that, that's just yeah, 100%. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, no, like. Like same here, like, you know, every newsletter that I write, I put it into ChatGPT and ask it to criticize, you know, the shit out of this newsletter and yeah. just find mm-hmm. like weak spots in that. you know, and yeah. this, you know, often just helps me to like find those blind spots where I said, okay, like that would be a good aspect to highlight, right? Of course, like it will always suggest something because it's text completion, right? So at some mm-hmm. point you have to say, okay, no, yes. it's, it's actually fine the way it is. But still, like, I think it's it's good, right? For for these kind mm-hmm. of use cases. There are so many examples in there. And the ones you mentioned, like I absolutely love them. So they're great
0: yeah yeah and 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 if it doesn't make sense like you can see it i mean Mm -hmm. like you said you can like don't take it and use it because like you can see or you can check if what what is there makes sense or not and it is very good at making seems making something seems real yeah even if like if it's if it's not if it's not and, fast, and it's also not... i
1: think the the more you use these systems the better you can kind of sense whether a text was generated using chat like there are some because there, <laughs> there was the other day what there was this twitter thread um of saying like if if a, if a text contains the word dwell too often it's like probably created by ChatGPT because it has some bias yeah. for this word let's dwell into this concept right and but, but, but yeah once you start working with these things like you, you realize that there's a certain like you know sound in it that you know yes. and, and once you pick up that sound you will see like in so many articles and newsletters where you say okay like you know I know mm-hmm. that this was ChatGPT generated. like you know? mm-hmm. Or even comments on LinkedIn, you know, we just see some yes. random comments and you just see, okay, like, that was just ChatGPT generation, right, you can just, <laughs> like, there's no factual proof, but you just feel it, right, it's just feel yeah. It so, yeah. Yeah, I think it's because crazy. also,
0: <laughs> exactly, I think it's because also people are still uh, trying to use them. I think that you can be enough, uh, like you can be good enough in prompting as to not be that abuse let's say you just add as right as a human way or you just add things that are like yeah, 2 chat gpt yeah. way yeah. but i think the most obvious thing on linkedin that i've seen is like the when you see two emojis <laughs> one after the other when like there is multiple phrase with two emojis that's that's yeah 1000% chat gpt
1: um, <laughs> Emoji yeah. is a red flag, yeah, for... <laughs> yeah, 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 right <laughs>
0: now, right now, I think it is not a, the best time to use too much emojis and to be very cautious about yeah. the one we use because it is very uh, chat GPT-ish mm. and yeah. the words you mentioned. Um, so I have three last questions for you, Tobias, and I, I want to thank you again uh, for, for this episode. I'm learning so much from you and I hope everyone um, else out there is learning. Um We'll talk about your socials. How can people learn more from you, connect with you? Uh, But before that, do you have any tips uh, regarding um, professionals, either at the beginning or more advanced in their career? I always like to help both of those profiles. Uh, Do you have any tips for data scientists, data engineers, data architects, AI engineers, um, and all data-related jobs? Do you have some tips career-wise?
1: Career-wise, I would always go for uh, teaching or mentoring to just for, for self-progression. You know, it's also like also kind of a selfish reason, like, you know, the, the more you teach, the better you get at something. Uh, so whenever you have the chance to like, you know, teach a group of people or you know, do mentoring. For example, I, I do online mentoring for for a bootcamp called Springboard. They're always looking for mentors, so you know, that's a good that's just, just a good way to to interact with people and help others who, who might be just following, you know, similar career path as you. Um so yeah, that's something I would do. And yeah, just like if, if you are really just starting out, try to build stuff that you can show to other people and uh, when it comes to just selecting projects and that's a lot of you know, think that the students in, in springboard like they need to create a capstone project and have some ideas of you know projects they can do and, and i often give an advice which is kind of counterintuitive to what everyone says you know in, in, in business school they say like don't go for solution just that just that you just build for yourself right you know don't assume that you are like the customer like you're not and stuff like that but i'm like you know what you don't have any clue what works anyway, so just like solve something that helps your problem. you know so because worst case, you know you solved, you know you built a valuable solution for you. and also you're building something for you know these kind of like you know power users of something, you know, assuming that you are that kind of power user of this thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know like if if all things you know go south, at least you have one you know, project that you build to help out yourself. And also it will be much easier for you to build a narrative around there. you know, why you would need it and so on. For example, I built like, I mean, random, sorry, I, I operated a couple of years back and, you know, affiliate, you know, website, you know, affiliate store with Amazon affiliates and so, and, um, I built that kind of like, you know, simple dashboard where I matched like tracking IDs to the parameters in the dashboard so I could figure out like what website is converting which kind of traffic. It's like super niche and weird. Nobody would ever think to write a capstone project on that. But I'm like, that's actually a super, super useful use case, right? Everyone who is in the similar space knows exactly what it is and why you would need that. And everyone else is just like, Okay, that's some pretty technical stuff, you know, looks good. I don't understand the word, but, you know, that's fine. I see the whole point of it. So, and I think, you know, just, just using something that is like, you know, selfishly, like, not only fulfilling your own curiosity, but also helping you address your own problem. Like can mm-hmm. just like, yeah, two, two benefits, right? You you move ahead career-wise because you just sharpen your skills and also you solve a problem you can't really have. So uh, that's how I would approach it. Um, but yeah. <laughs> so
0: Yeah, makes sense. Uh, getting some things out there uh, in or github if we're more technical yeah uh, yeah
1: yeah and because like these projects will allow you to do so much of them right you can write a blog post on them you can write social media posts you can share that on github you can put that into a presentation like you know just in terms of like content there are so many ways you can like you know recycle that you can talk about the failures that you made you can talk about the success you can talk about the tools that you use for that you can record a video of you doing that you can share like i said like the blog post a step-by-step tutorial like you know just from a single project you can probably create like you know six months of social media content pipeline if you're just starting out mm-hmm. and you know i think that's just a nice side effect
0: awesome awesome uh i see i i feel that sometimes people get like they go through their project and they just stop before like uh, going into a cloud solution or like building the Docker image. And uh, do you have any tips about that? Do you think they should push and like build the image and deploy it, even even if like it costs you a bit of something? This is a great investment because you're going further into what you're building and and then deploy it and and, and like buy your own whatever like (laughs) dot com you want but just just buy it and because i feel like people are like very they don't want to spend a dollar into these Mm. things but they have so much value in terms of an investment perspective that you should put it's just like maybe a hundred dollars even though like Azure and in, in AWS, they all have like services uh, free until you reach a certain point. Yep. So you'll be, but do you have? Do you want to react to that? Maybe.
1: Yeah, I think I, I'm giving bad advice here because I'm just the other way around. If I have a project idea, I, I purchase the domain name first, <laughs> then I do anything with that. I'm very domain oriented. <laughs> I, I always think um, about, it. Um, yeah. but, but but like yeah, I, I I would always go for you know like even if it just costs you a lot some some bucks, like you know just getting something you know up and running so people can interact with that. I would always, you know, pay a little bit, you know, for that just to show that it's actually working. And, no, you know, mm-hmm. it, as I said, it can be, like, a Docker image, which is, like, deployed to some cloud service, which, like, probably doesn't cost you anything. But it also can be something like, you know, maybe you used a a, a, a service for, you know, creating a model and you just let, you know, the service run for a couple of hours per day or maybe for a full day. I don't know. We're just spending that money on that if you think it's valuable for you, right? Well, why not do that? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, probably wouldn't, like, recommend, like, you know, having your uh autumn model running twenty four seven for a whole month and just like two hundred euros. On GPU yeah and, and a GPU like you know, just, just, just for fun. I wouldn't recommend that. Um but retraining like, yeah. in detection. <laughs> but, but yeah, you should be able to invest, you know, at least in a certain amount of money which you would otherwise spend on a coffee, you know, just on these uh things to, you know, yeah. just and it's also honestly, it feels so much better if you have th- something that's actually working, mm-hmm. and you can just you know pull up your phone and just say, "Hey, that, that see that's that's what I built, right?" And, uh, yeah, it's much it's much easier and much like you know much much cooler instead of just pointing people to, oh, "Okay, there there's a GitHub repo, and if you want, you can deploy that by yourself." Right, <laughs> because people will never do that, you know. <laughs> At least right, for the people right. who are going to hire you, right? Like yeah. your peers will do that, but the people who are going to hire you, they probably won't do that. So right
0: right record yourself when it's live or like build a blog with screenshots mm-hmm. or uh i really liked uh, i saw a repo training about uh a gen-, gen ai and it's like a simulation where characters interact with each other and you oh can yeah. Your, yeah yeah uh, that was cool uh, i don't have the name but uh Amazing, amazing project, amazing, uh, yeah. and there are like there are so many great things. Um, but anyway, two last questions, uh, and I thank you a lot, Tobias, uh, for this episode. Where can people learn more about you, about your work, about your books, uh, and about your posts, daily posts, weekly posts?
1: Yeah, sure. So I post daily on uh, Twitter and LinkedIn, so you can follow me there. Um, I'm also writing a newsletter, AI4BI.rocks, uh, where the four is written as the digit four, so AI digit4BI.rocks. Uh, so I'm publishing that weekly newsletter. And um, yeah, otherwise, you, know, you can just read my book, um, AI Powered Business Intelligence, published by O'Reilly. i uh, just find it in every bookstore or on Amazon or any other ebook platform. So yeah, these are things to reach out. <laughs>
0: Awesome. I'll put all the links in the description. And last question, do you have a message for the Let's Talk AI community? Uh, it can be personal, professional, it can be anything.
1: I would say, you know, maybe if even contradicts the name, don't talk about AI, just use AI. Right? That's, what I, that's the message I would give. Talking about AI, or well, let's put it this way, right? talking about AI is great, but like doing stuff with AI is even better. So that would be my right. my final words. I love it. I love it. Thanks
0: a lot. Have a wonderful day. I had an amazing, si- I had an amazing time, sorry. And uh, I look forward to speak with you again.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Looking forward as well. Thank you.
0: Ciao. Congrats, you've made it to the end. I hope you had a great time and that you learned a few things. To learn more about AI, you can subscribe to my newsletter or check the blog. And to support the podcast, you can give us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also share it with two friends, colleagues or family members that might be interested. I wish you to have a wonderful day. Bye!